Welcome to the Beauty Formula, where we go behind the scenes with skincare formulators and beauty innovators. Here, you will get an intimate look into their personal journey to success and their beauty formulations from inception to creation. Jan, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you being our first guest and um, we are beyond honored to have you on. Uh, We wanted to start off the interview by just asking you a little bit about the start, how you got started in the skincare industry since you were such a matriarch of the um, medical grade skincare, which I know we'll get into that term later, but just a little bit about how you got started. Well, Courtney, thank you. And it, it really is my pleasure to be here. I'm very honored. So a little bit about my background. I have been a product researcher for well over 40 years. And back in the early days, my expertise was in the area of ingredients. You know, when people pick up a skincare product and they look at that ingredient listing, it's sometimes complicated and mysterious and intimidating. And how do you know if something is really going to have an effect on your fine lines and wrinkles? Is it really going to help your acne or make it worse or your discoloration? And I lectured to a lot of physicians and medical professionals and skincare professionals. And I also did a lot of reading on television because people love to hear about ingredients and you know what works and what doesn't work. And as time went on, I developed association with physicians and researchers literally all over the world. And I started to focus on uncovering and identifying breakthrough technologies. I always qualify the term breakthrough because what product out there doesn't claim to be a breakthrough? Exactly. Nobody ever tells you that they have the second best product. <laughs> Really, what I'm talking about is products and technologies that had never been in the marketplace before. And I was an early glycolic acid pioneer mm-hmm. in the early to mid-80s. You couldn't go into a drugstore or department store and purchase it. It didn't exist commercially. I always say you can get, could get it for cleaning stains off your driveway and grease out a car. <laughs> and it really became a huge medical breakthrough starting at the end of the 80s going into the 90s. And around 1989... 1990, I financed and brought to market two product lines, going back a lot of years, but MD Formulations and MD Forte. And um, it was really unique because, uh, first of all, it was the first real commercial glycolic acid line, but also I made a decision that I was going to focus on the professional market and specifically physicians. And physicians back then didn't dispense product out of their office. In fact, they were horrified at the idea. They were really offended. And it was, it was very, very, very challenging. And of course, the rest is history. Um, that company was actually purchased by Allergan Pharmaceuticals in 1994 and literally took the Jan Marini Skin Research sign down on July 1st, 1994 and put up, or took the MD formulation sign down <laughs> and put up the Jan Marini Skin Research sign. Oh, wow. That is incredible. Um since there was really no, as we say, like medical grade or physician dispensed um, products back then, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the physician's offices and convinced them to start selling, obviously, something much better than what they could get at a drugstore? Well, you know, Courtney, my philosophy was, and, and I'm sure that maybe you can identify with this and your audience can identify, if you've ever been to a dermatologist, maybe you have a skin condition, you say, well, doctor, what should I be using on my face? And the doctor, of course, hasn't gone to medical school for 10 years to study cosmetics, says something exactly. like, well, back then I remember being told, well, Vaseline is as good as anything to moisturize your skin. 
But you're thinking to yourself, well, what can I use that makes my face look better, works well with cosmetics, and doesn't make my acne worse or actually has an effect on fine lines and wrinkles? And so it just made perfect sense that you would have a product in a doctor's office that was really compatible with and complementary to various services and prescription products. So that was number one. Now, I have to say, as convincing as I am, and I think I'm a pretty good <laughs> self person, pretty good marketer, I have to say, I did have something on my side, kind of good news, bad news, and that was Manage Healthcare. So Manage Healthcare was just coming onto the scene. And physicians were really, really hit by this because, for example, if you were a dermatologist, and let's say you were getting maybe anywhere from $45 to $60 for a visit with managed health care, you're now getting $15. So physicians needed to look at ways to capture discretionary income. And while the idea is very valid, there's a lot of really good, credible data behind it, that I would say that it helped that they saw it as something that could be lucrative outside of managed health care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, even 20 years later, it's kind of still the same thing. I, you know, I feel like with a lot of dermatologists and med spas, um, obviously, you know, I have five med spas as well, that sometimes the physicians don't see skincare as a big revenue in- income until they look at the data later on and see how much it really does bring in and how loyal it makes the customers and patients because it brings them in more and more and more and helps them see better results. And, you know, Courtney, a lot of times I have people say, well, what about plastic surgeons? They're outside of the managed health care. I mean, why would this matter to them? But when you think about it, a plastic surgeon has to recreate their practice every 90 days. So somebody goes in and has a procedure. Maybe they have a facelift. And then they see the physician once or twice afterwards, and that's it. They're not going to come back and have another facelift. So the idea of being able to have some kind of a continued connection between the patient and the practice is also very attractive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so what do you think about the term medical grade skincare now? Well, I like to say that it's skincare sold into the professional market. Right. Because there's really no such thing as medical grade. A lot of times when people think of medical grade, it infers that there's something different about the ingredients in the product. Mm -hmm. Now, there is and there isn't. But let's say, for example, I'm a pharmaceutical firm and I'm making a topical product and I decide I'm going to put mineral oil in it. And I'm not saying mineral oil is a particularly great ingredient, (laughs) but the mineral oil that I buy is going to be from the same vendor, probably same raw material manufacturer. And it's exactly the same mineral oil that's going to be put in a commercial product. Mm -hmm. So really what distinguishes products in the professional market for the most part, not all products, but a lot of them, is that they typically have topical agents that are much more aggressive and can actually have a very specific effect. And so for one thing, at least our position is, is that a lot of these agents should be, should have oversight by individuals who are professionals in the physician office or in the medispa so that a person can be advised on how to use them appropriately. Now, that doesn't mean that all products that are sold in the professional market are somehow fantastically better than anything else. 
Right. Um, what a lot of consumers don't realize is that the FDA has no oversight on cosmetics. Mm-hmm. What they do is they regulate claims. So if I said that this can of Diet Pepsi, <laughs> which I shouldn't be drinking, <laughs> this can of Diet Pepsi is going to get rid of your lines and wrinkles, the FDA would not say, well, that's ridiculous. We're not going to pay attention to that. They would say, that is a drug claim and you need to do a new drug application, take it off the market and go through the claims and everything to make this a drug and to be able to make drug claims. Now, if I said it will help to improve the appearance of your lines and wrinkles, appearance of, that's not considered a drug claim. So the FDA would say, well, that's fine, even though I'm selling Pepsi to put on your skin. I know. So as a result, most of the time, people that are putting products in the marketplace, they're not chemists. They go to what's called a third-party manufacturer. And very often, the third-party manufacturer has house formulas. And the manufacturer wants to own the formula. And so what they'll say is, these are the formulas you can choose from. You can modify it to some extent, but it's our formula. And so they use that formula. They do the marketing. They put it in their bottle. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it is a product that maybe is as efficacious or beneficial as Neutrogena. Mm-hmm. So you have to kind of look beyond that as a consumer and really look at what kind of data does that product have? What, what kind of, if there's any kind of medical validation. Exactly. Yeah, I know. I always think it's so interesting. And, you know, I, I often wonder how a consumer even picks products these days because there's so much out there between drugstores, apartment stores, you know, physician offices. And I mean, the ingredients, I get confused. And so I can't imagine how everybody else feels. And that's when I think, you know, it comes into play having someone recommend products that you trust, that you, you know, is looking and helping you pick it. Um, But, you know, it still just gets so confusing. Tell us a little bit about some of the products and ingredients in the Gian Marini product line. Well, let me start off this way. You know, you, you made a comment that's really apropos, and that is that, you know, how do you go through all of this? I call it the, cause, the skincare maze. You know, it's so seductive. I'm, I'm researching constantly, medical journals, everything in the marketplace, and it's very seductive. Mm-hmm. So the first thing that I tell people is you need to ask yourself a question. If there was something you could change or improve about your skin, what would it be? So you're not looking at what the product is hyping, which lots of times is just marking claims, but what is, what is the one thing that bothers you the most? And mo- you know what, maybe it's brown spots, maybe it's, it's acne, it's rosacea, it's large pores, textural changes, fine lines. And then I ask yourself again, if there was something else you could change or improve, what would it be? And most people have about three or four concerns. That's your starting point because you want to then find technologies or work with somebody, that's really important, work with somebody in the professional market that can actually recommend something that addresses those specific concerns. If, if you can spend $100 on a product that feels nice and doesn't do anything, or you can spend $100 on a product that really has a result, yeah, I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah. So with that said, um, kind of the, the, the philosophy that I have in the aging complex which includes all the things we think about as rosacea and even acne is exacerbated and all those other things, lines and wrinkles, is very complex. 
But if I had to kind of distill it down, I'd say it really comes down to two things. One is resurfacing. So resurfacing is what goes after the superficial imperfections. If you want your skin to look glowing, you want to look translucent, you want your pores to look really small and refined, you don't want to have acne, rosacea, you just, you just want that glowing, I call it the red carpet look. <laughs> Even if you're not wearing makeup, you don't have to have a, a makeup artist following you around. Okay, so that's number one. And you want a very thin, compact stratum corneum. That's a dead layer. And it's shedding constantly. And if you look at a child's skin or you look at an adult skin, it's very thin and compact. And it has lots of moisturizing hygroscopic substances. But then you also want to use topical agents that can help to reduce or address some of the damage programmed into your skin. And really, everything you look at in the mirror when you think, well, it's inevitable, you know, everybody ages, about 95% or more of that is sun exposure. It's programmed in your DNA before the age of 10. And at least 50% before the age of 20, it takes 10, 20, 30 years to show up. So we want to address some of that. And there really are topical agents today that can substantially have a really, uh, I mean, an exceptional effect on the skin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, obviously you have a broad line that addresses a lot of concerns. Um, and what do you find is the really ingredients that you found works the best on just overall resurfacing and, you know, overall aging issues and everything that we use, you know, skincare for most of the time? Well, we have what's called our basic skincare management system. And when I work with people and celebrities and physicians, everybody, that's the starting point. But to give you an example, one of the products in there is something called BioClear. And it's a combination of glycolic, salicylic, and azelaic acid. Azelaic acid is sold by prescription for acne. It's sold by prescription for rosacea. It's also one of the best resurfacing agents I've ever seen for the appearance of fine lines. And it kind of brightens the skin, appearance of discoloration, because it's been used as a pigment lifting agent. And then glycolic, and I always say, when you look at all the cosmetic agents in the world, topicals, the two that have been studied medically more than any other are retinoids and glycolic acid. And I always also say that we could spend so much time talking just about glycolic acid, but it's the smallest molecule of any alpha hydroxy acid. So it actually can get into the follicle. And it also, on the surface of the skin and in the follicle, it dissolves and dislodges the glue-like substance or cellular cement and so it causes these cells to come apart without being abrasive, without being inflammatory. It's actually an anti-inflammatory. Um, chemically, it's categorized as a moisturizer, believe it or not, because it stimulates all kinds of substances in the skin that give your skin lots of moisture and volume. And the histological studies um, over the years have shown that it can encourage and stimulate a lot of collagen because you want a nice, thick dermis. Mm -hmm. You want a thin stratum corneum and a nice, thick dermis. So... That's an example of how one product can address numerous skin concerns. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then I know you have accelerators too that go with the system to try to match with different things that people are trying to address, whether it's pigmentation or fine lines and wrinkles. Um, which, what do you think is your best-selling accelerator and, and why do you think that? I think they all sell really well because, give you an example, by the age of 35, 100% of everybody in the world will have abnormal pigment. 
Wow. And if you don't have specific areas of brown discoloration, we get something called background pigment. So you look at a picture of yourself when you're, you know, 25, 20, and then look at a picture of yourself when you're 35 or 40. You don't have that same clarity. The skin starts to look a little muddy. Mm-hmm. So that is a huge, huge issue. And as an example, the product that we have, Illuminate, has actually been, the study was presented in the Journal of Drugs and Dermatology, a peer-reviewed medical journal. Mm-hmm. It went half-face, head-to-head with prescription hydroquinone. Oh. And we actually showed a greater benefit. Oh, wow. The other thing that's, a couple of other things that are just really huge, adult acne. It's an epidemic today among women in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and beyond. I love it. People will say to me, um, you know, I don't have acne. I just break out once in a while. <laughs> Well, the term acne is a term that describes a process. It's the same whether you, you know, you have once a month, once a week, whether it's kind of chronic and ongoing. But um, the, the thing that people have to deal with is they say, well, do I treat my acne and dry my skin out and make it look actually older? Or do I treat my aging concerns and make my acne worse? And you really don't have to choose between the two because we make a product. It's a dual chamber product that actually de-ages the skin, and goes after the acne. And even if I use this on somebody that didn't have acne, their skin would look much smoother. They would, uh, they would have the appearance of their lines and wrinkles be decreased, pore size, brightness of the skin, everything. Um, another affects over 16 million Americans, and the numbers are growing, and that's rosacea. Mm-hmm. And so, rosacea is a very complex disorder, but what people really care about is they say, well, I don't really care what causes it. I don't really care about all the details. I just want this redness to go away. And it's an inflammatory disorder. And we have a product with some real game-changing technology that actually significantly decreases. And with lifestyle changes, I mean, you, can, you, you can't cure rosacea, but you can look like you don't have it. Yep. That's great. And, you know, there's, there's adding volume the appearance of volume in the skin, um, neck, you know, the neck is another issue that's, that's a real challenge. Um, cellulite, cellulite, and just other aging technologies, things that are really kind of cutting edge mm-hmm. in terms of being able to address aspects of the appearance of aging. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to turn it back just a little bit and go back more to the early days. Um, starting Jan Marini and everything. You said that you started Jan Marini in 1994. That's incredible. Um, and how hard was it just being like a woman in the skincare industry and trying to get, you know, physicians and everyone to take you seriously and to listen, you know, to you? You know, I have to say, I really have never found it to being a, a being a female as being an obstacle. This is my fourth business. And here's what I found. And this is my opinion, but mm-hmm. <laughs> here's what I found about, about businesses uh-huh. is that, first of all, you've got to have a vision. And that's the big picture. I always say you want to work your business not for where you are, but where you want to be. So what is it you want to accomplish? And once you have that vision and you have kind of your tactics and your strategy set, it is tenacity and it is hard work. You have to be willing to. Just, I mean, literally to the exclusion of almost anything else, 
And I understand if people don't want to do that, but it is nothing but work, 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 work. Yep. And I'm very fortunate. I'm very blessed because I'm passionate about what I do. So I really don't think of it as work. It's just sort of, it's, it's my vocation. It's my life's vocation. Yeah. Um, as you grow a business, obviously you can bring people in, you can build an infrastructure. And so your role might change, but in the beginning, it is just, it's brutal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What were some of your biggest challenges with starting Jan Marini? I would say, uh, the first challenge was probably, um, just getting the attention of the medical community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, today, if you go to a medical conference, and I'm sure you've been to a few yourself, yeah. whatever, <laughs> the exhibit hall is huge, right? Right. And you also see a ton of skincare vendors. Mm-hmm. Well, the very first time I ever did a medical conference, and they hadn't had skincare vendors at that point, you might find devices or you might find um, a lot of tables that had... Um, um, breast implants, things like that, mm-hmm. instruments. And so I had a doctor that I knew who was, um, had about, uh, I think around 500 people that were coming to a conference having to do with peels. And he said, Jan, he said, would you like to have a table outside of the meeting room? And I said, sure. So there were two tables. One was a product called tie screen, which is a drugstore sunscreen. And then there was my table. And so I had all my products sitting out there. And that was the first time that a skincare product had been at a medical conference. And I never, I'll never forget, he mentioned the products from the podium. And so when the group broke for lunch, they came out and I was sitting there with my lunch on the table and I had the products out being displayed and we were so swarmed that the products disappeared and my lunch disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's great. And what would you say your next challenge was? You said your first one was getting it. I mean, did- I think that the challenge, and this is a challenge of any entrepreneur, is that you have to have this balance between in the beginning, the, one of the reasons you're an entrepreneur because you're able to do everything yourself. Right. And, but as the business grows, you have to be able to bring in some kind of infrastructure. But the problem with that is that you also are giving up control. And also, you know, you kiss a lot of frogs along the way. Just because Mm -hmm. you bring someone in and you think, wow, they're going to be able to expand the business and expand what what I'm able to do, it's, it's stop and go because these people sometimes really don't have the skill level or aren't able to execute the vision. Exactly. And you don't want your vision to become diluted. So I'd say that's the biggest challenge is that how do you grow and really find people that can do that? Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think, you know, in both my businesses, that's been the biggest hurdle. You want like a little clone of yourself, but it doesn't exist. And, you know, you get hurt along the way trying to find someone. You spend a lot of time training them. They leave or whatever the thing situation is, you know, they don't have your same vision or they don't have your same hard work ethic and it's mm-hmm. really hard You and giving up control, like you said. And, you, you know, know, in the beginning, you can't always pay the salary that Google pays or Microsoft pays. No. So you're looking for somebody that wants to be part of, even if you're, even if you're five years old, you're still a startup in a way. You want somebody who's part of that, that has that passion and that energy and that's willing also to invest in the future. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Well, have you, you have any good tips? You have anything you picked up along the way? <laughs> what I can say is that, you know, it's, 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 it's really kind of the law of averages and you just have to keep trying and trying and not give up. And you do find really amazing people along the way. And I do have, I have to say, I have an incredible management staff. Now, here we are today, many years later, and we're an international company and I have well over 120 employees. Um, and I have a you know full marketing department and a full HR department. I even have an in-house attorney um, and a CEO. <laughs> and I and I will just tell you, and a CFO, I, I will tell you, I have such talented, incredible people. So I'm I'm again very blessed. Yes, that is a blessing. Absolutely. Um and so you were talking about your hard work and everything is what really, you know, gets you in the doors. And, you know, I obviously know that as well. But where do you think that that passion came from where, you know, you're just keep pushing past all the obstacles? Where do you think that really came from? Well, you know, that's that's kind of hard to answer because the answer I'm going to give you is sometimes really works for people and sometimes it doesn't. So. I have to tell you just a little bit of background. <laughs> yeah. I was born in San Diego at Mercy Hospital. And when my parents took me home, they took me home to a rural area of San Diego. And it was a little tiny house at the end of a dirt road. It had one bedroom and I had three brothers. And so my parents stuck my crib in a little alcove in a hallway. And my three brothers slept in a detached, dilapidated garage. It's, we're lucky it didn't fall down and crush them. On a dirt floor, they had cots. It was on a dirt floor. We were beyond poor. So for me, and I can't speak for other people, but for me, that probably played a big role in the impetus to want to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I can definitely see how that could, my dad was, had a similar situation. He was, grew grew up extremely poor and they were farmers and, you know, made two, he always says two cents an hour. And, uh, it was the same thing. He was like, they just pushed me, pushed me. I started my first business when I was 12 and, you know, the rest is history. So what do you like right now in the skincare industry or what do you think could improve a lot along the way? I think the thing that kind of makes me a little crazy as I'm (laughs) researching because, Really and truly, um, I do think there's some good technologies in, in the marketplace. But a couple of things. First of all, in terms of formulations, um, so many products are literally impossible to be beneficial because they have ingredients that aren't compatible or they don't have enough of a percentage. But the other thing is that technologies that marketers want to convince the consumer can work topically. And we're really not there yet. For an example, stem cells. And that's a big hype right now. And boy, is it seductive because if you could really put stem cells in a product that would have an effect of being able to influence other cells and in a sense kind of clone them or whatever so that they would be younger, it's not possible. It's just not possible. So one of the reasons we're fascinated with stem cells is because we've read all of the 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 uh, newspaper articles and things that talk about that if you were paralyzed, for example, a stem cell transplant might actually regenerate nerves. Well, the fact is that, to the best of my knowledge, the only 
study or the only person that at this point that they have been able to actually have a result with is somebody who is a paraplegic and it took four years and they took the stem cells out of their nose and they were actually able with braces to get this person to be able to stand up and take a few steps. So that's pretty exciting. But how does that translate to something in your skin? Well, the closest we have to skin rejuvenation is let's say you go to your plastic surgeon or somebody at a mini spa and you want fat transfer. What they found is that if you take fat from an area of the body that's had very little sun exposure, and one of the best areas would be the inner thigh up by your... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that skin is really smooth, very, you know, very, very little sun exposure. Um, and say you inject it into the face. Well, not only would you add the volume, but they find that those stem cells can re-educate other cells so the skin actually looks younger and better. So that sounds pretty good, right? But most doctors, they take the fat out and they have some type of machine in their office and they can't afford a million-dollar machine. Like my friend who heads up a big stem cell company in Switzerland and um, it's to do a... To, to do a fat transfer using their type of stem cells, it starts at $40,000. Wow. So what happens is when you handle these stem cells, they break down. They're very delicate. And depending on the doctor and just depending on luck, how much do you really get into the skin and how much is going to not die? Okay. So now think of that. Think of these delicate stem cells and let's stick them in a product Let's put in some binders and let's put them in some emollients. Let's shake it around. Let's stir it. Let's put it at high s- speeds and centrifuge it. Pour it in a product. Expect it to last and it's going to do something to your skin. Yeah. So I feel badly because consumers can spend these huge amounts of money on that. Now, can you influence possibly stem cells with peptides? Can you influence peptides are a very interesting um, area where we're really just scratching the surface. Um, and when you say stem cells, are you referring to all growth factor products or specifically ones that are like drawn up and spit, spun down? Growth factors are a little are different. So peptides are like a toolbox in a way. Tep- peptides can influence communications. For example, an average peptide that's for anti-aging, what it does is it fools your skin into thinking it's wounded. So now mm-hmm. you have to produce collagen. But there are peptides that can do all kinds of things, downregulate inflammatory pathways. And we're just, again, scratching the surface. Growth factors, on the other hand, actually are communicators that are at a much different level. Mm-hmm. So in the hierarchy in the food chain, they're up higher. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, growth factors can be amazing, but they're very large molecules. Mm-hmm. So can you get them into the skin? Now, there's some tricks to doing that. But if you can, there's some real interesting things on right now and on the horizon with growth factors. That's great. Are you, are you talking more about like manipulating the skin, whether it's um, microneedling or something like that to try to get them into the skin or something that's actually just a topical? Uh, it, it can be topical. And, you know, really, you don't have to get huge delivery because every cell in your body has receptor sites. And what you want to do is you want to influence these receptor sites, just like every cell in your body has a telomere. And, you know, there's a whole thing on aging and telomeres and being able to reverse a lot of aging. We have a product that is connected with telomeres. And so it's just, you know, it's kind of have to, it's, it's in a, in a way it's an art. Yeah, exactly. 
So we were talking a little bit about the different, um, you know, skincare that's on the market right now. And, you know, there's drugstore, department store, obviously medical grade. And, you know, I've, what I've seen is some of the best sometimes lines or I feel like the best technology in skincare, nobody really knows about. They don't have the best marketing and, you know, and then other companies have great marketing and uh, not that great of a product, you know, honestly. But I feel like Jan Marini has really both, you know, you have the great products and you have the really good marketing and how do you kind of, you know, weigh that out to make sure you get the word out um, as much as you do. And I feel like you do a much better job than a lot of other medical grade brands that are more focused on the technology. Well, you know, thank you. That's so nice for you to say (laughs) that. Um, I think there's a couple of things. Now, arguably we're in a smaller market. And to give you an example, for every dollar that's spent on skincare in general, about two cents is spent in the professional market. That means that a many spa, doctor's office, skincare salon, only about two cents. Wow. So we're, you know, we're kind of a niche market. And yet, in terms of it's the fastest growing market in the world. And so we have to kind of come at it from two angles. First of all, we want to create demand. So we have to go to the end user. And then a lot of that is social media and things that will so that the end user wants to go to the Medi Spa and explore product. And then on the other hand, we're working with these literally tiny small businesses. Some of these businesses have one person. Physicians' offices, some are chains. But nevertheless, we're working with small businesses. So what we have to do is we have to assist people who aren't necessarily business people and really work with them in strategy and really assist them in mobilizing their patient base and, and making certain that there's a connection. And it's, it's, it's working with them in terms of educating from the ground up. And I think that a lot of times people just think, well, you know, I'm going to sell you a product. Put it on the shelf and it'll sell itself. That is just not true. And I think that anybody listening Regardless if you walk into a Medispa or a physician's office, it's the same thing. You look at all these products on the shelf. How do you know which one specifically is right for your particular concern? Thank you for tuning into the Beauty Formula. Follow us at the Beauty Formula Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Don't forget to subscribe and review on your favorite podcast platform. And tune in next week for more insights on influential beauty innovation.